Welcome to the Writing Guys podcast, where we help writers get inside a guy's head by answering burning questions on how men think. Um, I'm Lansing McCall, today's moderator, and our hosts are C.T. Andrews and Michael Aspen. Hello, Lancey. Hello, Michael. Hello, C.T. <laughs> Hello, Lancey. Hello, hey, audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before we get into it, uh, listen, guys, if you like our what we're doing here hit the subscribe button and at the end of the um at the end of the podcast send us a comment or something we'd love comments and in addition to that if you are a guy that has a good radio voice and you have a different opinion than what ct and i are giving we would love to hear from you we would love to put dissenting opinions on our show um yes yeah so anyway just throwing that out there i thought of that today while i was driving no, it's good. Yeah, I mean, we we only have uh, three dissenting voices on this one so far, so we need a fourth. That's right. We are all pretty much dissenting voices at one point <laughs> or another. <laughs> all right, let's get to today's uh, listener question. Uh, today's listener question is, how important is it for a male audience to have the female ingenue or love interest? Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. My okay. Well, when, let's point out this is a story specific question. We we call ourselves writing guys, and this is great because this is how important is it for an audience member that is male to watch or read a story to have that female uh, love interest or, or or companion in the story, and uh, that is, I tell you, I'm I'm yeah, I'm interested to hear the answers on this one. And, yeah, and, and the other thing. The other thing, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, the yeah, other thing, ahead. the other thing we're assuming is we're not talking about romance, um, mm-hmm. right? Right. That this is a genre because obviously in romance you're going to have two love interests. They may be both women, right? But right, yeah. Because this this spawned from CT was talking about it um, before the show, re- before the recording. He was talking about uh, gave some examples like in the born identity, how, how different would it be if he didn't have the girl with him? Or I don't remember the other, other examples. You gave. Yeah. Huh? Indy. In, yeah. Oh yeah. Indiana, Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would it, would it have been the same story in the same journey for Indy? Yeah. Plus the audience. If Marion hadn't been in the movie. Right. So, yeah. All right. So let's dive in. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. We're bringing it back home to uh, writing, the actual crafting of storytelling. Awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so if you consider the two examples we just gave, in my mind, I would say that having an ingenue, whether she is directly the object of the story or indirectly the object of the story, i.e. any ingenue that uh, has a male main character in a thriller-style story, is very important. I think it's I think it's necessary because it adds on the surface, and we'll dive more into it if we must, which I, I assume we do. Uh, it adds a greater dynamic. It gives it gives him something more to. Um, it, it it extends his internal journey, I think, or at least it's a lever that can be pulled to take his internal journey longer than simply going after a MacGuffin. Or trying to stop the uh, atomic bomb from going off, or whatever the case might be. Now it gives him stakes in his mind, personal stakes. You know, aside from you know saving all of humanity. 
But uh, yeah, so that's my that's my answer. My short answer is yeah, it's very important. So um, I'm going to riff on that. So while I agree that it does raise the stakes um, because it's adding. So one of the things that they tell you whenever you're writing story is put your put your characters in a situation where you can just keep piling on things that they that are difficult for them to overcome. And if he has people that he cares about in the mix with him, it makes it much more. Uh, engaging to the reader <clears throat> um but i don't know that i always like to see the love interest part of that um not that i'm a prude but um one of the examples that we have already mentioned is the born identity i felt in that first movie that the love interest was sort of forced a little bit it didn't feel natural um they 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 knew each other only for a brief period of time and they're in a stressful situation. And I get that, but all of a sudden they just like jump into having sex. I didn't really feel like there was that buildup of emotional connection that I would have expected before that happened. And that's from the movie. I've not read the book, so I don't know if it's better in the book. Um, have you read the book, Lancy? <laughs> As a long-term Robert Ludlum fan who has read many of his books and read the Jason Bourne series far before, way before the movies were even an idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, the books don't play out that way. Mm. And, and to CT's point of view, I mean, I agreed with all the things CT said, but not just as it give the character um, – it gives him conflict and it gives him depth. And for example, in the Jason Bohr series, the books, um, the the lady was kind of just a, someone who got in the way. Like yeah. she was a casualty of his mission of trying to figure out who he was. But at some point when he realized she was going, they were going to offer they the bad guys and she got thrown in the mix. His, something in his conscious kicked in and he's like, you know, it's like the, you know, it's like you see the character who's like walking away to go do their mission, not my problem. And then they're like, their steps start, start to slow and they're like, ah, oh, damn it. And so he turns around and goes and saves her. And and comes she, right. Yes. Well, and so yeah. I think, I think her being there um, would have been enough just without the love interest piece of it. She's just, she's the only friend, like he said it, you're the only friend I've got, right? He, yeah. he doesn't know anybody. And just well, the in friendship. The books, and... Go ahead. In the books, they don't become, eventually they do become a love interest, but it's way further along right. because she just, now she's become a victim of this big thing too. And so right. they're just trying to survive together and they both have the tools. So they're just become partners to survive. Right. So, so to that point, I would probably have enjoyed that way of telling that story better. And to pull another one kind of, out of left field. If you haven't seen um, Pulp Fiction, uh, it's a really great movie. It's got some, it's got some stuff in it. That's it's definitely not PG. Um, but uh, there is a budding love interest kind of story between Vincent Vega, who's the character played by John Travolta. And um, I'm not going to remember the, 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 Uma, Thurman. Uh, Uma Thurman, but I'm not going to remember the character's name. Um, but the, he, she's the wife of the like crime boss. And while the crime boss is out doing a thing, 
<laughs> Marcellus Wallace is his name because you have to know what Marcellus Wallace looks like if you've watched that movie. Anyway, Marcellus Wallace, Mia Wallace, that was her name. So Marcellus Wallace is off doing something and he asked Vincent to take care of Mia while he's gone. And what he meant by that was not to kill her, but to just take her out for an evening, you know, as a, as a friend. And they, they end up having this spark and that was instrumental to the story in an, in a very unique way. And it made for a, it made for tension and it added to the story, but they never actually acted on it. Right. Um, a few things got in the way, not the least of which was a heroin overdose, but they, <laughs> they, um, they end up, they end up being really good friends because they do share a secret of the fact that she had a heroin overdose and he was instrumental in saving her life yeah. from that overdose. And um, that was something they wanted to keep from Marcellus. So anyway, this was a, this was a really well-crafted little subplot to the story of these two characters, along with a bunch of others that are going through this, through this particular story where that spark was really important to moving the story forward, but yet also was in and of itself, this own little piece that was really a gem to watch. Um, so yeah, I, I can find it very engaging if it's done really well. And I felt like it was in that story. But when you look, when I compare it to like the movie uh, Born Identity, and I'm only going to talk about the movie there, um, it doesn't feel as well. Oh, uh, I, I love the relationship that you bring up between uh, John Travolta and Uma Thurman's characters in that. I think yeah. that's I, I, it's a great piece of not only writing, but uh, the, the tension that builds between the two because of their performances and the camera direction, editing theory, yeah. all that stuff. That is, yeah, that's fantastic. If that relationship wasn't in that movie, it wouldn't have been nearly as good a movie, at least in terms of J John Travolta's journey. Right. Um, I would not look at Pulp Fiction as a thriller so much. It really wasn't a thriller as much as, say, um, uh, Jason Bourne and all that. Now, sure. I think I think that there's a thriller franchise out there that does have that its version of that same sort of tempestuous romance, and that is one of my favorites, um, Mission Impossible. If you watch Mission, for those who've seen Mission Impossible, I'll try not to put it, give any spoilers, uh, Michael and Lancey, just saying. <laughs> um, there is a, a romance that plays out through that, through three or four of those movies. Uh, there, I think it's movies four, five, and six or whatever. And it's a tempestuous relationship because these are double agents who often vie against each other in their objectives diametrically opposing objectives and so to watch them come in and out of their relationship with each other based on their objectives based on their emotional investment in each other and all that makes makes it makes it a really really fun little romance if you want to call it a romance to watch because there's definitely i mean they have several a great narrative like this a great relationship in a narrative will have moments where they have a choice to make. It's either each other or the mission. And based on the surrounding situation and all that, uh, they they make their decisions based on that. But that's a great way to get tension to build up and to uh, uh, you learn a lot about the characters making the decisions 
and the kind of character they are. I don't mean character as it is on page. I mean, human character. And it's so, so fun. It's such a fun ride. So uh, my opinion has not changed. Yes. So, so are we, are we limiting this only to thriller stories? Because the question no. doesn't say strictly thriller. I was just curious. I don't think you need to. I, don't I think do. I do have a, a question that, that your answers kind of brought up for me. So, do you guys like the will they or won't they kind of byplay in stories, which is what your you know some of those stories are like? I can I can tell it. you that I don't mind it for a brief period, but should I get off the pot, man? Just get to it. <laughs> and it, and I think a lot of times I remember that was a that was a big trope from television shows: the will they, won't yes. they, of. Uh, I remember Ross and Rachel and Sam and Diane and Niles and Daphne. And you just, you're just, they kept stringing it out. Right. And they would, they would put the actors into these scenes where they would say, I love you. Uh, but it would be in some platonic way. And it would then, they would then cut that little scene, just a snippet of that scene out and put it into the, to the trailer or to the commercial for that show. <laughs> Daphne finally tells Niles that I love you. And then, you know, you're oh, and then you watch it and you realize you were let down again. And that, that kind of has that soap opera feel where they're always trying to build the tension, but they never get to that climax and release it and move on for the rest of the story. And I get kind well, of frustrated you, with that. You know why though, right? On TV, if they ever finally get together, people, people lose stop interest. watching. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. See, I see the yeah. thing is, I think if you, if you, if you have really creative writers, you can have them get together and you can have that happen. And then you can have a really great storyline come after it. Um, and news radio broke the mold on that. There was a television show in the nineties called news radio and they wanted to set up that. Will they, won't they, the, uh, the producers did. And the writers were like, yeah, no. And the showrunner was like, yeah, no. And so like within like the, the first, like, six episodes or four episodes something like that the two main characters that they wanted to set up for that they ended up sleeping together and then they built out years of really great storyline off of that and it was it was kind of flipping the script and i i really enjoyed it no oh, that's interesting uh yeah I, I i will say this if we're not going to limit this to thriller i've got a i don't know, I don't know why this didn't occur to me uh a couple of months ago i read uh david gemmel's realm of the wolf if anybody is familiar with david gimmel he's a a british fantasy writer through the 80s and 90s and aughts who was who's just been hailed as the greatest fantasy writer that came out it's come out of europe or england in the last couple of generations he's just awesome and he's passed away since but I, I read his realm of the wolf and yeah i was really surprised at how complex the story was i was expected to go into this sort of sword and sorcery kind of telling of a of a hero's journey and we're done you know and, and have it be a complete story and a complete story arc with all of the messages therein and we're done and i was wrong that story got really really complex especially with its relationships because the main female character in that story who was like this badass kind of archery girl and she be she became like the, the the sort of warrior princess of a race of people whatever she had two love interests in that story and they were all part of the same pact and you were as a reader i was um involved in this triangle hoping to see one character come out 
quote unquote on top. Uh, and then something would happen. And then I, and then I was like, Oh yeah, I like this character and I would want to see him come out on top. And so following that little romance, uh, that sort of budding little triangular romance to see who would, who would get who, uh, throughout the story, um, it was a lot of fun. And when it finally concluded, I realized that it, there's no other way it could have concluded when you consider the nature of these characters and all that kind of stuff. And so it does exist in fantasy yeah. as well as thriller. And uh, it was kind of a, kind of a fun little read. David Gemmel, Realm of the Wolf. Uh, yeah. Check it out. And it's not very long. It's how, only like 350, 400 pages. And it was a great book. How do you spell Gemmel? G-E-M-M-E-L? Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to, you actually kind of spoke to something there that, sparked another thought in my head. So I'm going to kind of shift direction a little bit here. I think also men, men see themselves for right or for wrong. They see themselves as kind of a protector and it kind of plays into uh, something that, that we expect to see. I don't know that it's needed, but it's not something that sticks out often. It's not something that sticks out as, is offensive whenever the guy is trying to protect a woman from the barrage of whatever's coming at him. And um, a movie that popped into my mind about that was the fifth element. Um, the character there, uh, Bruce Willis's character is uh, ex military. He's retired and he's a cab driver and he bumps into, uh, I'm not going to remember her name, um, but Lilu's the character. Um and he, inst he like Insta falls in love. Like as soon as he sees her within, within 30 seconds, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm giving my heart to this girl. And he decides to take the mission to help her achieve uh, saving the world. I'm not going to go into too much detail, basically because he's smitten and she doesn't need as much protection from the outside forces as he would think, but he does, uh, he does do a lot to help her along the way. And at the very end, they do end up falling in love and, or at least having sex. I don't know which, <laughs> which one you want to call it, but, um, but that was one of those stories where even though, even though it was kind of unrealistic that he would fall in love after seeing her for only 30 seconds, you get over it pretty quick because the performances were pretty well done. And it, it is something that just feels natural to be that protector. And they did. So, they allowed the whole movie to play out before they finally came together. So that is one of my favorite movies ever. I am a mm. super fan, and I did not read that the same way you did. Wow. I didn't read that insta love, and he didn't get involved. To me, when he decided to take the mission, was not because of her, but because he was pissed off that everybody was trying to force him in the mission into the mission. And now they've gone and done something. And I can't remember what it was. If they kidnapped her or something, they took something. Oh, she she took something from him to go do the mission. And he's like, fine, I'm going to do this mission because now I'm pissed off about it. She took the tickets to Floston Paradise, her and the priest. Yeah, she took his took tickets. tickets. And, uh, yeah, yeah okay, so, so I didn't this, read that. This is a good conversation to have. We've got We've got the male perspective and the female perspective on why our hero took the mission. Was flip flops you know, on the surface. He had he used the fact that she took the tickets as his triggering effect to go on the mission. 
But mm-hmm. if he didn't feel the way he felt about Pretty Little Lilu, he wouldn't have gone. Would he have gone on the mission? I mean, maybe the answer is yes. I don't know. But did he actually go on the mission because he just needed to know more about who this girl was? Right. I, I, I think I, it's lean, I still lean towards both. my interpretation that he went because Lilu took his. She basically she was like she's going on the mission. So they're off and going. He's like, he's like, fine, I'll take the mission. Cause now he wanted to go and be with her and protect her. I, I felt like he got involved because his life was just, tr- just drudgery and he was bored and all of a sudden she drops in his cab and this, this is new and this is interesting. Yeah. And why are they chasing you? And now my curiosity is peaked and what's going on here. And it was like exciting for him again, you know, yeah. after yeah, well, I kind of felt like that's why he. They should have had like Janine a... Buffalo play the part of Lee Lou. Because, <laughs> because now we would know. It's like, not, not there's anything wrong with Janine Garofalo, but she certainly isn't the supermodel actress that we got to play Lee Lou. Yeah. Yeah. Milo, Milo Jovovich, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that confuses everything, making her look just so darn good and be yeah. just so, so helpless. I... And I remember, I remember in the so after she had fallen through the cab because she had jumped off the side of a building and fallen through the back of the cab and she's in the back seat, and she's looking at him and using some, uh, like divine power Ancient or whatever language. to yeah well she well that but she's trying to like discern if this is a guy she can trust or not and she's you can tell she's kind of like do I do I trust him or do I not and he's like are you okay what happened right. And at first he's like, oh, you know, really? Again, you know, I'm on my way to take my cab in for an overhaul and I get into an accident and he's all pissed off at the machine. You know, you just you just had an accident. You only have one point left. He goes, yes, I know, I know. But he he turns around and he's like, are you okay? And, and his compassion kind of sparks a little bit of trust in her. And you can see her face change from one of should I trust him or not to, oh, I found somebody that I can that I can talk to and I can trust. And that's the scene where it feels like, um, uh, what's his first name? Dallas. I can't remember his first name. Uh, Corbin. Corbin. Yeah. Where Corbin Dallas, you just see this kind of like his heart softens. Like you just, no, you know, but "Hmm." see, go a little bit further, go a little bit further because the police are after and he's a rebel. Yeah. Well, he doesn't know that at that point. He doesn't know that at that point. point. Yeah. But But you're right. Like very, very quickly, the cops are there going, you know. So it kind of solidifies his like, oh, no, we're in it. I'm not yeah. giving you up to those assholes. Yeah. And and you remember you're talking about the faltering steps um, of the person walking away. That is on display there where he's like, I'm sorry, this is your ride, honey. And he's complying with the police and they're hooking on and they're reeling the two cars together. And she's like, please help. And it's tugging at that, you know, protect her heartstring. And finally, he's like, oh, screw it. And he takes yeah. off. And yeah. I, I <laughs> think so- that speaks to uh, something that was mentioned earlier, and that is uh, the the ingenue has changed. She, she has evolved through, you know, five generations of storytelling, certainly cinematic storytelling. I mean, the ingenue that the guy, the hero would would have to go save was you used to be the girl tied with her hands behind her back, oh. laid out railroad track track right. somewhere, you know, going like this. <laughs> exactly out there, bad guy doing this, and and now the ingenue is Leilu, the sixth one 
founder or the seventh element or whatever fifth, it was the fifth in element. the movie, yeah. whatever the, per- the perfect being, yeah, it's called yeah. the, fifth, yeah. the, fifth the supreme yeah. being, right? I, I have to being, admit, yeah. I don't like. That. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so it's changed. But I do think the ingenue is necessary because there is something in the the male psyche that needs that that needs to be the savior, protector, hero type, and you can't really do that to a you know hard drive that's got memory on it that's you know classified. You know what I mean? Like like. The fifth element was was important because she was the fifth element. But if the fifth element was just like a new chunk of gold that happened to fall down into his van, his uh, taxi, yeah, that's not quite the same thing, you know. Um, so yeah, so I do wonder. That's a good question. I do wonder: Are there any good movies where you have a male protagonist that does not have a female love interest, where it was a compelling story? Um, well, I don't know about movies, but I was actually going to bring up a series, uh, the Jack Reacher series, right, by Lee Child. Mm-hmm. And um, to CT's point about how the, the ingenues have changed, I'm trying to remember because I've read like almost all of them. But when there is a woman involved, and he is a protector. Jack Reacher oh, yeah. is a protector, but it's not just a woman. It's maybe there's a frail old man, or maybe there's a. It's it, he's really an injustice um, right. fighter, right? right? Warrior. So it maybe it's a town that's being exploited by some guy that's yeah, polluting your water. It's basically uh, it's basically Batman if Batman took the bus everywhere. <laughs> yeah, right. but, but the point I wanted to make was the ingenue, the women that are in those books when when they are the character in the books, they are strong, capable, you know, it's like the the district attorney and or you know, it's somebody who yeah. has some power. But they just need a little extra help, and I—they're not the the frail woman tied up on the railroad tracks. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind it's of true. Uh, I do, I do think that it's needed, though. I think, uh, I think it's necessary to create an overall, a complete, a well-rounded narrative, especially for not only the the male main character's point of view, but a male audience's point of view. I think. We guys just want to see that. Okay, so so were Frodo and Sam lovers? What? So no, Frodo. Frodo's the protagonist in the Lord of the Rings. He's the one. He's the ring bearer that carries the ring over to Mordor. So he doesn't have a love interest, but Sam loves him dearly. But uh, the way I read it was Sam loves him dearly as a friend, not necessarily as, you know, like any home. Why, why is what I said? I'm just that asking that. I'm just asking that question. I don't understand. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to accuse anybody. I'm not trying to accuse anybody. I'm just curious. So that was a very compelling story that had a very difficult and, and a lot of stuff piling on the main characters. And uh, there was no love interests. Well, if you're written yeah if you'll recall at the very very end of the third one uh return of the king when frodo and sam are making their arduous climb up the volcano wall right mount doom no no this is after they after they 
were about to be flooded out by uh, lava because the ring had been melted and the mission was completed. Sam was reflecting back on the girl that he loved at, at, yeah. back, in, back in. Now she didn't play a major role in the movie, nor was it even nor implied that she was the, uh, the, 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 the genesis of his mission, you know? No, yeah. But, but he does, he does talk about, I'd like to go back and tell her, you know, what I really think. And yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so even, even with just a scant little, scant little, you know, play in the, in the narrative, uh, even Lord of the Rings has that sort of emotional, uh, yeah, but she wasn't she wasn't the in danger. She wasn't along for the story, right? And everyone we've talked right. about the person I mean, well, I guess I guess technically she was in danger, but I don't think the main characters knew that just because Directly. of the fire they yeah. the uh Sa Sauron's uh forces had come and taken over the Shire and enslaved a bunch of people and um, think about the Jack Ryan series. Like he definitely has a love interest, but she really doesn't have a lot to do with the plot. Mm. That's true. That is true. Um, actually, oh, that's a really great one. If you look at just the first movie they made, The Hunt for Red October, oh. um, that <laughs> that story, even in the even in the book, is solely about he's got an idea that he cannot let go of. He's like, there's something here. I know there's something here. I, I can see it, but I can't quite discern what it is and he can't let it go. And he's working in military intelligence, CIA over, but he's stationed over in England. And so he flies home, talks to his boss, shows him what he's seen and he just can't figure it out. And then very quickly they learned that this is a super quiet submarine that yeah. could be used to launch uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles from like the Hudson Bay. So um, they, that, but it's all about, him he's got these like ideas at the back of his brain that he cannot ignore that keep pushing him forward one of my favorite lines in the movie i don't think it's in the book is when he's strapping into the helicopter uh, or he's in the helicopter he's strapping into the little thing to get lowered down to the uss dallas and he says next time jack just write a damn memo yeah, <laughs> yeah. well that same that same sort of thing exists for tony stark too doesn't it in uh in the last one like he didn't he he put his wife and child at risk in his mind to go ahead and help the avengers go back in time or yep. go into the quantum realm really and uh correct the, the snap so i i suppose she did play a role however in tony stark's wife in inspire him inspiring him to take the, the the mission because she knew him better than he knew himself but so yeah i suppose i suppose the ingenue isn't a necessary thing but if you're looking for a straight up standalone one act thriller so to speak i think it's an i think she is an important character in the narrative and, and some of the like we've talked we bounced around to quite a few but um some of the best stories ever uh, revolve around uh, that that love interest. And um, I've talked about this movie before, but I don't remember if it was on the podcast or not. And that is Casablanca. And Casablanca has um, in media res or in history or flashback, I don't know the right way to put this, but 
you learn about the love affair between Rick and um, I'm not going to remember her name. Gosh, I can never remember yeah. characters' names. Um, but um, the the love interest of the movie, you learn about their love affair through flashback, and then you also learn how she broke his heart in a way that he was not able to recover from. He is not a person that gives his heart away easily. Then he finally found somebody he thought he could trust and she, she breaks his heart. And so he doubles down on, I don't trust nobody. (laughs) Right. And um, he's throwing women away like crazy in Casablanca. And then she comes back into his life and it reopens that wound and really hurts him. But if she was not there, if she did not, show up he would have kept his stone heart closed and he would not have helped victor laszlo at all it was only her showing up that allowed him to do what he what was necessary to move this story forward and that's a that is a really elegant example of how it is part of our life that we have these interactions that mean deep emotional connections to people and if you can incorporate it into your story, it'll make your story richer, which is what you were saying earlier about the well-rounded story, CT. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I've got we another were, one. Men actually, are, men actually are knowledgeable of this. We actually do have that capacity to understand and appreciate. <laughs> Go ahead, Lance. You were saying something. Um, another really good movie that is like nothing would have happened if it weren't for the his family is the um, Air Force One. Tom Clancy... Tom Clancy movie, right? Tom Clancy novel? No, not Air Force uh, One. Who um, is that? Air Force One was, uh, I believe, an Who original. wrote that? I don't remember. Are you, are you talking about Air Force One or are you talking about Clear and Present Danger? No, I'm talking about I'm talking about Air Force One, where he was the president and they yeah. had this, you know, they had this big, the, the big policy was, um, I thought they were both Tom Clancy, but anyway, um, they had, um, you know, we do not negotiate with terrorists. Well, suddenly his wife and daughter were in danger. Okay. Okay. I'm going to negotiate. And his wife and daughter being in danger totally drives all of his actions going forward. And then also the people, the rest of the people on his staff, but that was the, yep. You've, you've reached my limit. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. Um, I, I just pulled up the Wikipedia page on it. It does not say that I've, I've skimmed it real quick. It does not say that it was based on a novel. Um, mm. It's I probably because they both star Harrison Ford and he did a bunch yeah. of the Tom Clancy novels that I'm making that connection. Yeah. So, so for those of you who are screaming at your uh, podcast device, the name is Ilsa Lund from Casablanca. Oh. <laughs> that, was, that was the female character that I couldn't remember her name. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember watching that movie and yeah, he was like, he was ready to, cause they had like that ejection uh, box thing and he yeah, was ready to just, yeah, they were ready to just load him into the pod and kick him out. And yeah. he, he was following along until he found out that his family was in danger. And then he backtracked and that was kind of the, at that decision point in the movie is when the actual movie takes off. Cause if he had just kicked out the back, the plot would have played out exactly as the terrorist planned, but him throwing that wrench into things really changed it up. Yeah. 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 So we're, we've filled up this whole, this whole podcast session in our time. So <laughs> you guys want to give some, uh, you guys want to wrap it up and give some closing thoughts. Cause I, I think, I feel like we're just going to talk about this all day long. If we yeah. can. <laughs> I 
I mean, I, th I think you can find examples of movies, whether they're thrillers or psychological uh, thrillers or whatever the genre is, where you 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 don't necessarily need that character, that ingenue, um, or where she would play a much less traditional role in the story storyline. But for me, for my money, I'm looking for uh, a well-rounded cast of hero, heroine, supervillain, henchman, you know, and I want that ingenue to be there. And because if you have all those elements thrown in there, then you've got the Jason Bournes and you've got the uh, uh, Mission Impossibles and the, the the great thrillers, at least cinematically, the great thrillers of, uh, of, of that I think of our time, because they're awesome. And I love them. I love them. I don't know. Uh, Michael might have mentioned he doesn't he's not a big action movie guy, but I love me some action movie. <laughs> so. Michael, what are your thoughts on the, what's your wrap up? I think if you're if you're in a situation where you're creating a story um, and you're trying to figure out how to do that. Um, I I think for me, the thing that kicks me out faster than anything is is not being plausible. Um, we had talked about the love interest or well, we had touched on it very briefly. Um, the jack reacher novels and while the characters are very strong the female characters are very strong one of the things that's very frustrating to me or was very frustrating to me when i was reading those was the lack of development by jack reacher to grow into any kind of long-term relationship right he's getting older he has one love interest that he kept or the first few books he kept referring to this one love interest that he loved 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 then in one of the books he finally gets with her and then he ends up just dumping her and moving on and getting back on the bus. He had like land and a house and the girl of his dreams. And he still ends up, they end up breaking up and he gets back on the bus and he's heading out and doing his stuff again. And while that was a formula that worked really well, uh, it left me wanting. So um, I, I just, I, when I, when I look at that, I'm just like, you know, allow for the fact that your characters will grow, allow for the fact that, um, your characters need some time to grow together, allow or have a really excellent backstory in place like Casablanca did. And uh, I think that that will really strengthen those bind or those bonds to allow for a deeper connection with your store or with your audience. There may be a lot of audience that goes, yeah, I liked it. Okay. I just didn't like the, the girl in it. And what they really mean is, is that they didn't feel like the writer had taken enough time to, to draw out that connection and make it seem plausible. So plausibility is really important to me. And and I think that it would really help if you look at it from that perspective, it would really help make your story stronger. Yeah. That's my last thought. Okay. Well, my hot take is that I think having that relationship is a great way to add depth to your main character and, you know, throw some conflict in there that may make his decisions go a different way than they might have if if that person wasn't there. You know, they might take a different route. The other thing that I need to tell the audience is that if you have not read uh, the Jason Bourne series, the books, they are wildly different from the movies. Mm. Um, I mean, the dude was not, he's not really an assassin in the books. Really? He's not. No. It, it was a, it was a, government plan to infiltrate the assassin community but he was like this stand-up hero dude oh, 
that they put in this situation. He never killed anybody. And the movies just I was I was just like, what are you doing? You're making him a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember my Read my books. father's comment when the lights came up in the theater after watching that movie, because he was very excited to see it because he'd read all of the Jason Bourne books. And he goes, well, it had the same title. <laughs> yes. Yes. The books are really good. They're long and they're complicated. You know, yeah. it's not a fast read, but um, they're good. Yeah. I have to check I recommend them out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, then I'm going to wrap it up. This was a great one, guys. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> Me too. All right. Well, that concludes this episode of Writing Guys. And if you have a question that, or a topic that you would like answered or talked about, about around how men think, um, visit writingguys.net and click on the button to ask us a question. There's a really short form. Just fill it out. You don't even have to leave your name. You can if you want to. Uh, and then... Be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to the Writing Guys podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.